Alright, welcome back to Wrestling Retold and Relived with Richie Mars. I, of course, am your gracious host, Richie Mars. Thank you all for joining me today. Again, you could always follow me at Retold Richie Mars on Instagram and the Twitter. And we have a great topic for you today. We are talking about the WWE draft, but which one? All of them. We're going to go through the WWE drafts that have happened in years past, and I'm going to give the pros and cons of each one just a little summation, a little preview of the draft that's coming this Friday on SmackDown and Monday on Monday Night Raw. So first things first, how did WWE come up with the concept of the WWE draft? Well, when WWE bought out ECW and WCW, I think they bought out WCW in, I want to say, 2001, the initial plan was to have WCW Monday Nitro to take over Raw. So there would be no more Raw, but there would be a SmackDown. So the brands would be divided up onto WCW stars showing up on Mondays and SmackDown stars showing up on Thursdays, as that's when SmackDown was airing at the time. Unfortunately, <laughs> Booker T and Buff Bagwell had that fantastically awful match at the main event of Raw, representing WCW, where Steve Austin and Kurnail came in and threw Buff Bagwell off the streets, never to be seen in WWE ever again. So the idea of a brand split between Raw and SmackDown under the WWE moniker was devised. Now, from what I've seen on the online wrestling community at large is that the reaction to this was rather mixed. Now, instead of seeing, for example, Stone Cold Steve Austin twice in a week, you're going to only see him once in a week. And that might draw some disinterest in watching the other show. On the flip side, other names, up-and-coming names like Edge, the Hardy Boys, Christian, those stars can get more opportunity being positioned on a higher place of the card that they weren't portrayed as before. So after WrestleMania 18, it was announced that Ric Flair will be at the helm of Monday Night Raw and Vince McMahon would be at the head of SmackDown. And thus the draft begins, so brand warfare was on its way. Now, I wasn't watching WWE at this time, but looking at this draft in face value, it could have been a lot more organized. For example, Steve Austin walked out of WWE shortly after WrestleMania 18. This is before he walked out on a longer basis in June. But right here, he just walked out, and there was a storyline explanation why he couldn't be drafted in this draft lottery, and that is because he had a special clause in his contract that if WWE were to split into two brands, he had the right to sign to whatever brand he would like to. And he was the only star who got that perk, so even stars that are on his level, like The Rock, The Undertaker... They were all in the draft pool. 
And those were the first two picks of the WWE draft was The Rock was going to SmackDown, Undertaker was going to Raw. And that might change in the future. Just a little bit of foreshadowing there. Another thing that added to the disorganized feel of this draft were the draft picks themselves. For example, Ric Flair said that he would draft the entirety of the NWO of Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and X-Pac over the Raw. But later in the show, they said they couldn't draft tag teams, and then they drafted Billy and Chuck, who were a tag team. And then Ric Flair, later in the show, said he wants the most dominant tag team in WWE today, so he's going to draft Bubba Ray Dudley without his brother Devon. So, just to get the one-up on Ric Flair, Vince McMahon takes Devon Dudley. But that begs the question, if you can draft an entire group and an entire tag team in the same show, why couldn't you do that with the Dudley boys? It just didn't make any logical sense or creative sense at that time. If you wanted to split them up as a tag team to see how they do in a singles capacity, that's fine and great. But that should have been the storyline reason as to why you would draft one over the other, or just draft one other than drafting the team at large. But not only the on-screen performers were affected by the draft, the writing team was as well. The writing teams at the time were headed by Stephanie McMahon, and the two head writers for the shows were Brian Gewertz and Paul Heyman. In his book, There Is Just One Problem, Brian Gewertz explains that the idea of the draft was a three steps back to take four or five steps forward kind of approach. Because after the Attitude Era, after 2001, after the competition that WWE bought out, creatively they were kind of in a rut. So the draft was something to alleviate those problems. Vince McMahon decided to make Brian Gewertz the head of Monday Night Raw, and Paul Heyman would be the head writer for Friday Night SmackDown. And as he's seeing the draft and all Brian Gewertz's guys that he would write promos for, like The Rock, like Edge, like Christian, were all going to SmackDown, he assumed that he would be the head writer for SmackDown. Unfortunately, <laughs> Vince put it in his mind that to challenge his writers creatively, that Brian Gewertz would go to Raw and Paul Heyman would go to SmackDown. So effectively, Brian Gewertz is writing for people that he wasn't used to writing promos for or segments for. And the same thing with Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman was more towards his guys, like Rob Van Dam, like Eddie Guerrero, like Chris Benoit. So now it's a soft reboot, a soft reset on the company at large, including the writers, the producers, the wrestlers, all trying to get used to this new system. And it doesn't even stop there in 2002, because then they instituted the general managers for the show. So Ric Flair was no longer the co-owner of WWE with Vince McMahon, and since Vince McMahon regained full control, he instituted two general managers to head the show. Eric Bischoff for Monday Night Raw, and Stephanie McMahon for SmackDown. And then during this time, because the brand split wasn't really working as much as they'd like to, because when you have people like The Rock, Hulk Hogan, all those names are kind of winding down of their full-time careers, 
some other stars need to pick up the slack, like Kurt Angle, like Edge, and you still need more of those superstar names on those brands. And Steve Austin also walking out during that time. So there was a period of time where it was an open season where stars can jump to brands willy-nilly. Like, I think the storyline reason was, oh, it's an open contract season, so you could sign with any brand you want up to some point in the fall. So needless to say, the first attempt at the brand split was off to a rocky start. So the next time WWE would have a draft would be two years later in 2004. But instead of the whole roster being in a giant draft pool, the draft was now being named the Draft Lottery. So all the superstars from both brands would be in this giant tumbler. Two separate tumblers, one from Raw, one from SmackDown. Like one of those bingo tumblers that you see, and then you, you will roll around and pick the ball out. You open the capsule, that's the number. But instead of numbers, it's the superstar's name. The two general managers, Eric Bischoff and now Paul Heyman for SmackDown, would open the capsule, and that superstar would go for Raw. And each brand would get six picks each with, after the show, trade priorities. The most notable names that were drafted were Sheldon Benjamin to Raw, breaking up his tag team with Charlie Haas, Triple H to SmackDown, we'll get to that in a bit, RVD to SmackDown, Edge to Raw, and then Paul Heyman was drafted to Raw, but then he quits, so that draft pick ended up being kind of pointless. So when this draft happened, Triple H was drafted from Raw to SmackDown, or so we thought because after the show went off the air, it was announced that WWE made a trade with Triple H going back to Raw, and in his place, Booker T and the Dudley Boys would go to SmackDown. I'm usually not a fan of these kinds of moves where it's like, oh, he's going to SmackDown, I wonder what SmackDown's gonna bring. And then immediately, just putting him back on the brand. So, was it just a shock us in the moment? And then it's like, oh, okay, and now I'm not as interested. Not saying that Booker T and the Dudleys weren't a fair trade for Triple H. I think they more than enough covered for Triple H returning to Raw. But when you tease a feud with Triple H and Eddie Guerrero, and you had a top name like Brock Lesnar leave the SmackDown roster, you have a top name like Kurt Angle, taking a step back in his wrestling career to get his neck injury situated. SmackDown could have used a top name like Triple H, but then they concocted the JBL character. And to be honest, the draft really did help JBL in that regard. But as for the names listed here, the best draft pick, I would say, on both brands were Sheldon Benjamin and Edge to Raw. Those were the top picks, I think, showed up during the year after they were drafted to Raw. And for SmackDown, probably Rob Van Dam and Booker T, because they were always in the mixture, and they always had something going on in that show. The next year in 2005, the draft was pretty different. Now, instead of a draft lottery where, you know, on stage, giant tumblers, give them the whole football presentation, giving them the SmackDown or Raw shirt to show that, hey, you're on a new brand. Now, the draft would be taking place over a period of four weeks. 
but instead of six superstars, it'd be one superstar per episode, which is a great way to advertise your show. Each brand would have five picks, with two picks coming at the last week of that month. And this was a star-studded draft. Since there's not many draft picks, I'm just going to go over all of them right here and right now. On the first week, Raw got John Cena, who was the WWE champion and was on the rise at this point. So it was a fantastic move to get John Cena more notoriety to the Monday Night Raw audience. Chris Benoit then went to SmackDown. Kurt Angle went to Raw. Randy Orton then went to SmackDown. Then the next week, Carlito went to Raw. And then Muhammad Hassan and Davari went to SmackDown. They were very hot as antagonists at the time. Big Show and Rob Van Dam went to Raw. Unfortunately, Rob Van Dam was still injured for majority of the year, so he didn't do much. And then on SmackDown, Christian and Batista, who was then the World Heavyweight Champion, made it to SmackDown. Now, obviously, the two stars that benefited the most from this draft were John Cena and Batista. Both of them are recently in their first runs, respectively, as World Champions. And the new crop of talent they could work with really added the depth of their title reign and depth as the two figureheads of the WWE brand. Unfortunately for SmackDown, within a year, all of their stars that have been drafted would be taken out one way or another. Chris Benoit would be injured and take some time off shortly after the Judgment Day pay-per-view in 2006. Randy Orton would be suspended shortly after WrestleMania 22 in 2006. Muhammad Hassan and Davari, well, Davari would be taken off TV, as would Muhammad Hassan and later released from his contract due to a controversy where there was a real-life incident in London and SmackDown aired a poor-taste angle. Christian would later leave WWE entirely later in the year. And then Batista would be injured early in 2006. So the SmackDown roster was really cursed in the year 2005 to 2006 in some way, shape, or form. Speaking of 2006, we didn't have a full-blown draft lottery like we had in previous years. But instead, since ECW was heading as WWE's third brand, Paul Heyman was allowed to make... One selection from Raw, one selection from SmackDown to add on to his ECW brand. With Raw taking Rob Van Dam and ECW selecting from SmackDown Kurt Angle. And again, the curse continues as Rob Van Dam would shortly be suspended from WWE for being arrested for possession of marijuana while driving. And Kurt Angle would later be released for his contract. So the notion of the draft seemed to be exactly what it set out to be, two steps back, one step forward, with the one step forward being a little bit trivial. So now the year is 2007, and we are back to the draft lottery style, but instead of a giant tumbler, it's a giant screen randomizer that will pop the name up with a graphic with the superstar, blank has been drafted to the Raw, or blank has been drafted to SmackDown, blank has been drafted to ECW, so on and so forth. Just looking at the draft picks that were made, a lot of them didn't work out long term. <laughs> There's a bit of a recurring theme with this draft podcast here. So we have Great Khali to SmackDown. Worked out well for him. He won a world championship once he got drafted. The Boogeyman to ECW, which fit because they were on sci-fi. 
King Booker and Queen Charmel got drafted to Raw, which is could have worked out a lot better, but Booker T and Charmel would later leave during uh, that same year. Chris Benoit moved from SmackDown to ECW, and unfortunately, the Benoit tragedy occurred, so that really didn't do them much well. SmackDown got Ric Flair, which could have been great, but then Ric Flair at the end of the year would go back to Monday Night Raw, and they would start his retirement tour of some sorts. Raw got Bobby Lashley, who they were pushing huge at the time. He won the Battle of the Billionaires for Donald Trump against Vince McMahon and Umaga. But unfortunately, he would have to sit out due to shoulder surgery, and then he would ask for his release in early 2008. But Raw also got Mr. Kennedy, who was set up to be a huge star. He was set up to be a possible heir to the McMahon throne in a storyline, but unfortunately, with the wellness policy scandal that happened with Mr. Kennedy among some other names, he was then uh, disregarded as an option for that story. But this is the first year that they did the supplemental draft, as in the draft that became after the show. So the only names that are really affected by the supplemental draft that increasingly improve their status on the roster were The Miz and John Morris and the ECW, who'd later become one of the great tag teams of the late 2000s. And because of the ECW brand, like we had on the show before, we poke fun at ECW at times, but they really did start as a proving ground to develop the stars of tomorrow. And The Miz is still going on to this day. And John Morrison has been doing a lot of great stuff, including winning his boxing match recently at Creator Clash. So good on them. Now, 2008, this is where the draft really picks up. It's the same format as the 2007 draft. And there are a lot of big names who get drafted to different shows. Rey Mysterio goes from SmackDown to Raw in the first time of his career. Unfortunately, he would go to rehab shortly after for his painkiller addiction, so he didn't really make a mark until later that same year. Jeff Hardy went from Raw to SmackDown, and that really started the singles push for Jeff Hardy to get to that main event level spotlight. Listen more in our archives about our Jeff Hardy episode, The Extreme Highs and Lows of Jeff Hardy, now available. CM Punk went from ECW to Raw as Mr. Money in the Bank, and cashing in on Monday Night Raw to become world champion for the first time did wonders for his career. Matt Hardy went from SmackDown to ECW, really being the staying point for that brand for a time. But now for some controversy. You see, to determine these draft picks, they would have Raw versus SmackDown, SmackDown versus ECW, Raw versus ECW, etc. to determine who gets the draft pick of that brand. So this next matchup, they stated that whoever wins, announcers are eligible to be drafted. Well, the match ends in a draw, so instead of nobody gets a pick, both brands get a pick. And the voice of Monday Night Raw, Jim Ross, is drafted to SmackDown, and Michael Cole is drafted from SmackDown to Raw, breaking up the long team of Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler, and Michael Cole and Mick Foley, not as long-term. Where the controversy comes in is that with these draft picks, everybody is left in the dark. No one knows what shows they're going on to. 
In fact, in the first draft lottery, uh, Chris Jericho was not in the know of where he'd be drafted because he was fighting for the title, and if he were to win the title, he couldn't have been drafted. So he had to drive to the next town with his friend looking on the computer to see what show he would end up on. So Jim Ross gets drafted to SmackDown, and you hear him on the mic saying, Ugh, I, have it. I had enough. Because it's no secret that WWE would screw around with Jim Ross on air just to poke at him and just to gain a reaction from him. And Michael Cole, who at the time, a lot of fans were very against even then because you saw him as this corporate guy who would take over Jim Ross and you saw the company treating Jim Ross, for lack of a better term, kind of poorly. And Jim Ross had this column at the time on the website called the Ross Report, where he was so upset by the move that he handed in his resignation, essentially quitting. But again, cooler heads prevailed, and Jim Ross turned out to be a very big asset to SmackDown at that time. Another big blockbuster move made is Batista from SmackDown to Raw, which led to the John Cena vs. Batista match at SummerSlam for the first time ever, and Triple H as WWE Champion going to SmackDown. So Triple H is on this brand where he's essentially the one of two established names there, along with The Undertaker, with this new crop of young talent, like a Mr. Kennedy, like a Jeff Hardy, like an MVP, etc. And in my opinion, Jeff Hardy is probably the biggest winner of this draft just because of that year-long story of Jeff Hardy coming so close to become WWE Champion and then finally getting his championship at the end of the year. Such a great story. And coming in second, probably CM Punk cashed in, the world, uh, cashed in for a chance at the World Heavyweight Championship. And that was just the beginning of his career. And speaking of CM Punk, he was drafted the next year. Same format, same everything. But now he was drafted from Raw to SmackDown, again as Mr. Money in the Bank, which then was a catalyst for him to turn heel on Jeff Hardy and become the World Heavyweight Champion and embrace everyone in the straight-edge lifestyle. But a lot of these drafts, they were similar picks from the year before. Triple H went from SmackDown to Raw. The Miz went from ECW to Raw, really kickstarting his singles career and probably the biggest winner of this draft. Rey Mysterio was drafted from Raw to SmackDown. Kane, who was drafted from Raw the year before, got drafted to SmackDown. Chris Jericho from Raw to SmackDown. Again, a lot of major picks here in this draft, but it was a lot of the same but different. So a lot of the people who were drafted the year before got drafted this year. And just a note, Dolph Ziggler being drafted in the supplemental draft from Raw to SmackDown really kickstarted his singles career and later became Vicky Guerrero's boy toy, which was his first, I guess, main roster gimmick other than the handshake, hi, I'm Dolph Ziggler kind of character. The main person that got drafted the next year in 2010, again, same format, Edge being drafted from SmackDown to Raw, that wouldn't last all that long because he was on Raw for a couple months and then he would later get traded back to SmackDown. And that's another thing WWE rarely ever does is announce any trades. 
which I think is a huge missed opportunity for them. I mean, if you are being a sports entertainment show and instituting like trades and having notifications, get some fan interaction there, I think that will really bump up some traffic. But what do I know? I'm just a guy who's just speaking to a microphone right now. SmackDown's biggest pick, in my opinion, was Christian going from Raw to SmackDown, and it really developed and really kickstarted his singles push. There's a common theme that's going on in this draft podcast. All these guys who didn't get these opportunities before are suddenly getting these opportunities now due to the draft, due to the structure of this draft. And that is the biggest pro I can say about the draft WWE has as a whole You'll always get a couple of breakout moments and breakout storylines from people you wouldn't expect if the brands were combined. And here comes my most hated draft, (laughs) just for one simple reason. Remember what I said about Triple H being drafted to SmackDown and then back to Raw later that night? It's the same here, but they actually did it on television. At the beginning of the show, John Cena got drafted from Raw to SmackDown, and me and DFD, Don't Fall David, were really big fans of the move at the time because John Cena was the flagship guy on Raw since he got drafted to Raw, and a fresh coat of paint is what we felt was needed to bring John Cena back to the good side, back to our good graces. So John Cena was on SmackDown for all of two hours until he got drafted back to Raw that same night. I don't understand it. I guess they wanted an oh my god kind of moment at this draft. But in actuality, it just kind of felt to me like a giant waste of time. If you want an OMG moment, stick the landing and don't pull the rug out from under us. Again, my opinion what do I know? From there, the WWE wouldn't have a draft until 2016, and this time, they would split the rosters again like the first draft. So everyone was in the same giant draft pool. And notable picks were Seth Rollins as the first pick to Raw, WWE Champion Dean Ambrose the first pick to SmackDown, AJ Styles to SmackDown, John Cena to SmackDown, Randy Orton to SmackDown, Charlotte Flair to Raw, Finn Balor being called up to NXT to Monday Night Raw, Roman Reigns to Raw, Brock Lesnar to Raw, all of these star-studded names, and now you got the feeling of these shows are going to feel different just by the names alone. You had established names like John Cena and Randy Orton going to SmackDown, the quote-unquote B-show, with new names like Dean Ambrose, like AJ Styles, even some veteran names like a Dolph Ziggler, a Bray Wyatt, and yet Raw, where you had Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, Chris Jericho, Kevin Owens, all these guys who have rarely interacted in the past, save for Roman and Seth Rollins and Roman and Brock, but now you had some new combinations that you could play with. And now as I get to the drafts of 2017 and 2018, I take back what I said about the 2011 draft being my least favorite. Because now, instead of a draft, we have something called the Superstar Shakeup. What the Superstar Shakeup is, is that you turn on to Monday Night Raw or SmackDown, and stars from SmackDown will start showing up from Raw, and it will be revealed that they have been drafted. They've been shook up to a different brand. And there is no rhyme or reason. We don't 
know if anybody was traded for another person. We don't know if it's randomized. They just show up, hey, I'm on Raw, I'm on SmackDown. And this is possibly the worst thing you could do. It just seems like it's really lazy or like, I don't know, let's just throw Kevin Owens on SmackDown, for example. Oh, let's throw Sami Zayn on SmackDown for whatever reason. Let's throw The Miz and Dean Ambrose to Raw. That seems like a good idea. We could kickstart their feud again, even though we saw them feud for the past couple months. We're just going to continue on that story. And it just kind of felt like, all right, here is the shakeup brand. Here is the other shakeup brand. Let's see if we could create magic out of it. And they did if you want to call it magic, the main biggest story from the 2017 Superstar Shakeup is Jinder Mahal, who was a perennial lower on the card guy who got shotgunned to the main event of SmackDown and he would beat Randy Orton for the WWE Championship, shocking everyone. I remember I was at a hotel room and I was watching on my phone. I'm like, there's no way they're going to do this. And then they did it. I will give him this, though, and I'm not going to spend too long on this because I might make a Jinder Mahal podcast in the future, but they did present him like a star after he won the WWE Championship from his entrance to his persona, everything. Unfortunately, it didn't really stick the landing, and this is where I kind of soured on the Superstar Draft, or not the Superstar Draft, the Superstar Shakeup. Because it just felt we're doing it just for the sake of doing it. And that's really disappointing to me. Now you might notice that I'm remembering less and less who has been drafted to what shows in the past couple years. And that's because these drafts kind of felt less like a very big special event, a very big deal, to, okay, it's April, we have to do the draft now. Okay, later it's in October because... That's when the debut of Fox was, and they wanted to separate the brands that way. And October was a strange time to do the draft in general, due to the fact that they portrayed Survivor Series as Raw versus SmackDown. But why should I care about these new rosters that have been made the month before, and these guys are all of a sudden brand loyalty? Imagine if you are from the Mets and you just got traded to the Yankees. And now, all right, we're doing Subway Series the next week. Why would I believe they would want to win for their team even though they've been a part of the other team for way longer? It just didn't ring true to me. So in conclusion, is the draft a good thing or a bad thing? I think it definitely has its pros and its cons. Like I mentioned throughout the whole podcast, it gives a lot of people a fresh coat of paint and develop different personas. You have Edge, you had Sheldon Benjamin in years past, who were primarily known for tag team wrestling. And now they're given a chance to establish themselves in a different light. I think it's very good for that reason. And then you have people who were initially written off as stars, like The Miz, like John Morrison, after his ECW championship reign. And then they came together to create something even better which was the Miz and Morrison tag team, and their show The Dirt Sheet, and becoming figureheads of that brand, showing they could spin off onto other brands and become single stars in their own right. So the draft is essential in that regard. On the flip side, when you have a draft, and then you have this brand warfare that's happening a month after the fact, you don't give the audience enough time to digest these new rosters, to be attached to 
Do you like Raw or like SmackDown? You need to have these brands a distinct different feel. And for years past, it kind of feels like they lost that kind of initiative. Raw and SmackDown largely feel like the same show, whereas before, Raw was the more angle, storyline-driven show, while SmackDown was the quote-unquote wrestling show, where wrestling was the priority. And now it just kind of seems like Raw and SmackDown are almost the same show, but different colors. To do a brand split successfully, you have to have a solid reason for people ending up on which brand and what plans you have with that brand. Another thing is who's going to be your priorities, who's going to be your priority superstars on the men's side, the women's side, the Intercontinental U.S. title side, the tag team division. Are we going to have multiple titles for different champions like Raw Tag Champs and SmackDown Tag Champs, or are we just going to combine the two? It's things like that that need to be on top of mind for your brand split to happen. Do we have enough stars to create separate divisions? Are our divisions strong enough to hold two separate titles? Things like that. You also have to have a good mix of different names. You have to have your headliners. You have to have your rising stars. You have to have your tag teams, your women. You have to have all of that figured out. Because if not, it's going to be very disorganized. Like, look at the 2002 draft. Things were very disorganized. The rules were a little disorganized. Not a little, a lot. You can draft a faction, but you can't draft a tag team. It got so confusing there. So all in all, I think the draft can help WWE. They just need to enforce it and get the fans that reason to care of why the draft is happening. All in all, what do you guys think of the draft in general? Do you think the brand split is good for the WWE as a company? Please let me know. You can always talk to me on Instagram and Twitter at RetoldRitchieMars. Again, new episodes drop every Tuesday on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and much more. Thank you all for listening to this latest edition. and. TTFN Tata for now. Have a fantastic day. Bye bye.